0: This morning, we want to turn our attention to Ecclesiastes, chapter number five. We want to be in seven verses this morning. Ecclesiastes, chapter number five. And God's word declares, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Draw near to listen. Um, better, uh, it is better to offer sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that what they are, that what they are doing is evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much uh, business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay uh, what you vow. It is better that you should not vow... Uh, then that you should vow and pay not. Let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase, the words grow many and there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Uh, j- just for a few uh, moments this morning, I want to uh, share uh, from the subject title, uh, Wisdom for All Worshippers. We are going to talk about wisdom for all worshipers. Let me pray for us. Um, Father, I thank you so much for the precious moments that you give us to be able to dig into your word. Um, God, I thank you as my brother's son that all of our sins have been forgiven. God, I thank you that that is the greatest gift that you give us. And that is a relationship that will never be changed. God, as we enter your word this morning, God, I pray that you would allow us to dig deep, that we would be able to see uh, the truth that was applicable to the people in the text. And I pray that you would allow us to apply to our lives today. God, we have a lot going on. God, we have demands. We have issues. We have Um, people who are under the sound of my voice who have rough days waiting on them tomorrow. Um, Heard about a family even this morning that's having a surgery for a daughter tomorrow. God, I pray, God, that in light of all of that, God, I pray that you would give us a message this morning. God, that would impact our hearts and that would transform our lives. God, this is our prayer in Jesus' name and for his sake amen. Uh, When you open up the fifth chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, there is uh, no beating around the bush. Uh, You know, sometimes you meet people who kind of want to dance around things, and uh, sometimes I'm in meetings, and uh, you know someone wants to really say something, and they kind of want to dance around the issue. And uh, you waste about 30 minutes, 30 minutes dancing uh, when they just came out with what they really have to say. Um, uh, the issue that I just mentioned is not the issue that's happening in the text. When chapter 5 opens, uh, the author of Ecclesiastes immediately addresses an apparent issue with the people of God. We'll say it again. When the text opens... The author of the book of Ecclesiastes immediately addresses an issue with God's people. And I want want you to catch this. The group that is being addressed is not a group that is outside of God's covenant community. Uh, This is not a group of atheists. This is not a group of agnostics. Uh, The text is addressing a group of people who are inside the covenant community of the Lord. Now, if people were being addressed who are outside of the covenant community, then we can understand why uh, there would be harsh words, because to be separated from God, to be uh, outside of fellowship with God, that is a dangerous and a very sick place to be. Uh, Some might be alarmed by me saying that because it could come across as me being judgmental and mean and vindictive, but I want you to consider from, from this perspective, when I say that there are people who are outside of God's covenant community and that's a dangerous place to be, we must remember what the scriptures um, categorize or how the scriptures describe people who are not in fellowship with the Lord. Romans uh, chapter number five, verse 10, very clearly says, for if while we were, were, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. The, the, the scripture is speaking about a group of people who now have a relationship with God, but their previous standing with God is defined and described as them being an enemy to God. I know me saying that makes us uncomfortable this morning, but, but what should make us more uncomfortable this morning is how many uh, opportunities we consistently miss to share the gospel with people who are outside of the covenant community. I mean, what's, what's really more offensive, your doctor giving you a diagnosis of, of an issue or the pharmacist withholding the cure for the issue? Like, which one should be more offensive to us? So please do not get uh, offended by my diagnosis of our culture when in reality God has not just told us about the issues, but God has given us a cure in the gospel to the issues that we face This means that anyone who is apart from God, anyone who has not placed their faith and their trust in Jesus is ultimately separated from God because of sin. Uh, They are not just separated from God because of sin, but the scriptures tell us very clearly that they are also separated from God's family. To not have a relationship with God is to not only be separated from God, it is also meaning that you are separated from God's family. When you look at the text to have to not have a relationship with God is not only sad, but it is a sickening situation because the thing that people need the most, they will never have as long as they are apart from God. Um, It's true On last week in our sermon, we spoke about uh, some things that we need in the Christian life. And there are things that that you and I have have been given that we should take full advantage of. It is 100% true that God desires to give us comfort. We need comfort. We definitely need a contentment. We need a community and companionship in this Christian life. But we need to understand that those needs have already been preceded by God telling us our greatest need. Even as a pastor, as I pray for our city, as I pray for our country, as I pray for this world, it's easy for me to simply think about the temporal needs while neglecting the greater needs. I mean, I'm sure if teachers were to talk this morning and you would ask them, like, what is uh, the greatest need? Some, some teachers would probably say that that educational advancement is the greatest need in our country. Um, sociologists uh, have made the statement that that mankind's greatest need is more of a sense of belonging and togetherness. Our lawmakers have said that, uh, have suggested that what people need more is more of a, a moral compass and a, a willingness to submit to authority. And while yes, we need Comfort, yes, we need contentment, yes, we need education, yes, we need advancement. The greatest need that you and I will ever possess is the need for forgiveness and salvation, and that need is only found in Christ. Our greatest need is found in our forgiveness, in the forgiveness of our sins. The greatest need. Is found in the restoration and a redemptive, uh, in the restoration and the redemption of a broken relationship with the Lord. And it is only found in Jesus Christ. That's why the scriptures tell us very clearly that what does it profit a man or a woman to gain the entire world but yet lose their soul? So in our text, once again, the group that the author is addressing is not a group that is separated from God, but he is addressing a group that is a part of God's covenant community because of faith. Now, the author is addressing that group because this group has seemingly forgot where they are, and they have also forgot what they were supposed to be doing. As we dive into the text this morning, let me begin with a question. Have you taken the time to consider where you are this morning? Have you taken the time to consider what God has called you to do this morning? Where we are is important, but where we are is not simply 295 Tallahassee Road. Where we are is not simply Parcel 06032 on Clark County's website. Where we are is the church. It is the local body of believers. It is the collection of saints that have been redeemed and called together for the purposes of God, which leads us to why we are here. We are not simply here uh, to go through the motions. We are not simply here to check off another box. We are not simply here uh, to have good church attendance, but we are here because of the gospel. We are here because we've been called together to celebrate, to proclaim, and to live out the gospel. We celebrate the gospel. Uh, through preaching and through prayer. We live out the gospel through fellowship and ministry. We proclaim the gospel when we preach the word of God. We celebrate it when we have a life that makes big of God and makes little of ourselves. And when we look at the text, we are talking to a people, we are addressing a people who forgotten about A, where they are, and B, what they were supposed to do. When the author is addressing the group, it is specifically addressing a group of people who've come out of obligation and routine. The person who comes because of the location alone, or the person who comes because of the dress code alone, or the person who comes to only appease their spouse, or the person who has come who's lost sight of where they are, and the person who has come this morning who's lost sight of why they are here. This person is a person that is simply concerned about the routine and about what is comfortable and about what's convenient. This morning, it's important for us to identify this person because this person has forgotten even this morning where they are, and this person has forgotten why they're here. Now, it's one thing to forget where you are, and it's one thing to forget why you're here, but here is the greater implication of the passage. What's most important and what's most significant, what stands out the most in the text, is that they've also forgotten about who God is in their life. One of my favorite preachers says it this way, to preach an expository sermon, we must make a contextual connection between what was going on then and what is going on now. And then uh, the context, which is then, gives us the, uh, the opportunity to abil- and the ability to apply the truth now. Like once we identify what was going on then in the text, we can apply what is going on now today. We must understand the who and the what of the text that is being addressed so that the context uh, can make a, a present day application for us today. In context, they are most likely going to Solomon's temple, the place of worship. Uh, It is a temple that is majestic. It is huge. It is magnificent. It is grand. And it was described and it was developed and designed so that the people would turn their attention to the Lord. But today we are not in the Middle East. We are not at Solomon's temple. So some might be wondering, well, what does what is the present day application for my life? You should go with me to Ephesians chapter number two. Ephesians 2.19 says very clearly, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus being himself the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I want you to catch this. Under the new covenant, the building that is being described is more of a spiritual building than something physical. The whole building is joined together in Christ. Verse 22 says again, in him, you are being built up together by God what God desires to build up is not simply something physical, but God specifically wants to build up something that will be eternal and spiritual. I want you to stop for a moment. I want you to take, for instance, uh, this building. Uh, I want to be super clear. I am so thankful for this building. Uh, if you've been here a long time, you know we went over and over looking for buildings, and we, we, we Prayed and we trusted and we were denied. And and so, when I come, every time I pull up on the building, I'm just thankful that God has blessed us with a place to worship. But I also got to say that this place is special not because of the structure, this place is special because of the people who are here. It is the people who make the church a home. It is not the special nature of the structure. It is the people gathering in the structure that makes it a place that is special and significant. Um, Back in 2008, I was blessed to be able to buy a home, and uh, that place was near and dear to my heart. I was so proud. I was so thankful. Um, There are so many memories that are connected to that location. There are so many uh, great moments that I had at that house. Um, when, I, when we returned from our honeymoon, we went to that house. When we took Michael home um, from the hospital, we went to that house. When we took T home, we went to that house. Same thing with Timothy, same thing with Titus. But in 2016, <laughs> we sold that home. And now I live right up the street and I literally pass by my old neighborhood at least once a day. And when I pass by the neighborhood, I don't think about the house. The house has actually been sold since we sold it. I don't even know who lives at the house. Because what makes the house special is the people who are living in the house. The the, the people who made the house special are no longer living in that house, and now they're living in a different house, and that's where my heart is. So the same thing is true with this building. We love it. We're thankful for it. But what makes it special is the people who are here It's the fellowship of the church. It's not the building. It's the church people who've who've been drawn together that makes it special. I think it's important for me to say the only thing special about this building is that I get to be with y'all. Remove y'all and this building absolutely means nothing because it's God's people who are most important. In our text though, you have a group of people who forgotten about what was most important. They had forgotten about uh, what they had been called to do. They had forgotten about who they were serving. They had forgotten about where they were. They had forgotten about what they were called to do. And I love the text this morning because when we understand the context that was going on then, we can make some practical and, and impactful implications and applications to what we can do today. So, because they lost sight of worship, the text gives us a very, uh, a very uh, practical way of looking at how we can take the worship of God more serious. And the first thing we see is we need to be prepared for worship. Verse number one says again, "Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Draw near to listen." To to, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. When the text mentions guarding your steps, it is a reminder that as we approach God's house, we should come with a certain perspective. Uh, To make this point a little bit more full, I want you to go with me to Nehemiah chapter number 10, verse 39. Nehemiah 10, 39, quickly. It's on the screen. It says, For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain and wine and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. Here's the key. They made a commitment. We will not neglect the house of our God. We'll say that again. We will not neglect the house of our God. Catch the last phrase. Forget about the fact that you are sitting here in the sanctuary. I want you to, 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 to close your eyes mentally, not physically, for a second. I want you to think about if you, it was just you and I in the room having a conversation. You and I just having a real, honest, transparent conversation. I want to ask you this. This morning, how much thought did you give to preparing your heart for worship? This morning... Did you seriously make a commitment to not neglect God's house? Today, have you taken any time to personally prepare your heart for worship? And I know you're here, and you guys look so nice. You guys are so, you guys are wonderful. I'm thankful that you're here. You guys could be missing church Uh, Like Karen, who's at the beach right now. I hope she listens to the sermon and hears (laughs) this. I'm thankful that you're here, though. I'm thankful that you're here, but let me ask you a personal question Are you willing to prepare yourself to worship the Lord? And I know that Sunday morning can be hectic. It can be a frantic time. I mean, let's be real. Most of us work and most of us like have to get up early. And Sunday morning is that day where you can sleep in a little bit. You can hit the clock a couple times. I get it. I get that Saturday is your off day. You want to chill. You want to do what you want to do. I get it. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we approach worship, we approach the idea of meeting with God and meeting with God's people We've got to really ask ourselves, is, is preparation for worship of first importance in my life? And in the midst of my, my week, I have, to, I have to stop and reflect on the fact that I can be so busy that I just kind of make it to church and I'm not prepared for church. I'm so distracted in church that by the time church is over, I've missed it because I haven't taken the time to prepare my heart for worship. Um, Even this past week, I was having a conversation with one of our members, and in the midst of that conversation, I had to thank them for being uh, patient with me and our church uh, because we've gone through some significant growing pains as a church. Um, I can remember uh, just some, some really, really bad Sundays at Calvary. And when I say bad, not much not many people in the pews and not much power in the preaching, just being honest, right? And I'm thankful for members and, and folks who have been here, who have, who have made a commitment, who, who have looked past a lot of our issues, who've rolled up their sleeves and who've made a commitment to serve. Like it's, it's super encouraging the fact that we are here together. And on one level, I can say 100% that we have grown tremendously we've come a super long way. I also got to admit though that I'm not talking for anybody else, I'm talking for me. We have so far to go to be what God wants us to be. Yeah. Personally, I have a long way to go to be the pastor and the preacher and the leader that God wants me to be. So so what I'm about to say, I'm saying understanding that I have got to do a better job leading our church. But just for a moment, I want to ask you this. Could it be that some of the Sundays where church wasn't as impactful, could it be that some of the songs that we've sung that have not touched you, could it be that some of the messages that we've shared have fallen on deaf ears because of your preparation leading to service? I got, I got to grow. Like, we, we got to get better. Like, we, we've got to be more effective in what, we're, in what we're doing. But could it be that Sunday that you couldn't concentrate? That Sunday where you didn't speak to somebody and that person didn't speak to you? That Sunday where you left the parking lot thinking, like, I really didn't get anything out of it today. Could it be that that's connected to your lack of preparation for meeting with God. Could it be, I know it's hard today, I know y'all thought we were gonna take a day off because it's spring break, but we're going into it today. <laughs> Could it be that all Saturday I'm doing what I wanna do and out of pursuits? I stay up late, I watch things on my TV screens that if I put on that screen, you would cringe? I wake up late. I drag myself into the sanctuary. I don't get here early. I get here after the music has started. I am, I am flustered. I am not focused. And then I want to believe that somebody reads a couple of scriptures and, and, and Chris hits a couple chords on the piano and then immediately I'm going to turn into a spirit-filled person. It's not the truth. <laughs> and we are lying to ourselves if we think that what happens in an hour and ten minutes, hour and twenty, when I get a little long-winded, <laughs> will trump what happens throughout the entire week. If you believe that, you're going to just show up and we're going to hit a couple chords, and I'm going to just read a couple verses, and you're going to just turn into this spiritually mature person. If you really believe that, I have uh, some some beachfront property on the other side of this building that I want to sell you for a really good deal. <laughs> when the text mentions guarding ourselves, it is a reminder that preparation spiritually is a part of the sanctification process as Christians. We must take time to, pre- to prepare our hearts to worship the Lord it, it's it's something that needs to be guarded because it's something that is precious and significant. Um, I love the fact that we have so many um, we have so many little babies in our church, right? And it's it's a fact that uh, usually when a mom is getting ready to uh, have the baby, there's a process called nesting that happens, right? You want to get the baby's clothes washed. You want to get the room ready. You want to get the the hospital bag ready. You want to make sure that the house is safe. You want to make sure that the baby is not going to be put at risk when the baby comes home. I want to submit something to you this morning. I believe that you and I, not just you, you and I, will grow significantly in our relationship with God if we made a greater commitment to spiritual nesting so that we are ready to receive God's word. just just a suggestion, maybe before church on Sunday, my routine could be a little bit different, right? And and y'all are grown. I love this. Y'all are all grown. And I have four kids and none of them are in here, so I'm not telling you what to do. But I'm suggesting to you, maybe some spiritual nesting will make the service more impactful. Maybe me making a covenant with my eyes and not watching certain things will help make the, the worship experience more impactful. Spiritual nesting may mean that I refrain from certain activities. Spiritual nesting may mean that I distance myself from certain people. Spiritual, spiritual nesting may mean that I'm going to get here early so I can spend some time reading the Word and praying and focusing on the Lord so that I can be ready to hear from God. The truth of the matter is, even as the pastor, I cannot press a button any more than you can to just automatically make myself more spiritual. It doesn't happen that way. I wish it did. Kind of like uh, losing weight, you wish you could just pop a pill. That's right. If we can come up with it, y'all, we can make some money, I'm telling you. But you just can't do that. Same is true spiritually. You would not just roll out of bed and automatically become this super spiritual person without taking time to prepare um, one preacher uh, used the illustration this way. He says, if, if I have a, a glass of, of Coke, well, we're healthy. If I have a glass of Coke Zero and you bump me, what's going to come out of the glass? Whatever's been put in the glass, right? If I, if I have some water in my glass and you bump me, what's going to come out of the glass is what's been placed into the glass, when we think about that illustration, when you're bumped with the cares and affairs of life, whatever has been placed inside of you will come out of you. Now, in church, we want to believe that we're all spiritual and we all love the Lord, and you know we're blessed and highly favored, and we don't ever make any mistakes. We don't sin. We don't do anything bad. That's for those, those really nasty sinners, right? But when you think about the text, you think about the application of the text, the uh, question that we got to consider is, the last time someone bumped you, what came out? Now, like on your job, when you were bumped, what came out? In your marriage, the last time your spouse bumped you, what came out? When your kids were not being obedient to you and they bumped you, what came out? When we see this, we've got to understand that in the text, we are seeing very clearly that this this process of preparation puts us in a position where we can more clearly hear from God, where we we can more powerfully experience the presence of God. So I want to say it this way. To say that I want to hear from God, to say that I want to be closer to God, to say that I want to be used of God, To say that I want to produce love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness. To say that I want to be the man or the woman that God has called me to to be, but be unwilling to prepare my heart to hear from God and experience in God. If I try to make that statement, ultimately I'm lying to myself. Ultimately I'm lying to you as well. And when we live in this, this, this falsehood, when we live in this uh, sense of unrest, when we live in this sense of not being able to understand the reality of what we put in, we put out, we live in such a way where we are, we are not just fooling ourselves, but we are living, living a life that is ultimately going to lead us to frustration, that's ultimately going to lead us to a lack of fulfillment. When you look at the text... When it invites us to draw near, it is inviting us to listen to God more closely. I love it because the the text invites us to do something that will be impactful and transformative in our lives. God says, listen to my voice. For us today, that's why we preach the scriptures. We preach the scriptures because when God's word is preached, God's word is heard. And we got to ask ourselves, in the process of preparation, are we willing to listen? So first, we're challenged to prepare for worship. But secondly, we are challenged to, um, to give the appropriate presentation in worship. Verse number two says, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter the word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a a fool's voice with many words. Uh, In this section, there is a command to bridle our tongues. In context, uh, other religions were known for these lengthy uh, mantras and statements. And it's unfortunate that the world began to influence the people of God. It's true for us today as well. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter number six, and when you pray, Do not heap up empty phrases also, uh, as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. It's um, a reminder of President Calvin Coolidge. He was noted as being a very reluctant speaker. He usually would not speak other than when it was absolutely necessary. Uh, There's a story told of him being at a dinner party and he was seated next to a well-known actress who informed him that she made a bet that she could make him say at least three words. Uh, Coolidge replied, you lose and remain silent for the rest of the meal. (laughs) It's, It's not just the number of words we use. The issue is the reckless nature in which we use words. The issue is, like, you and I, on both sides, can repeat religious phrases that are biblical but have no meaning in our hearts. We could even repeat what we've heard from other people that is significant and solid, but that truth has not been implanted in our heart. And since that truth has not been implanted in our heart, we're making empty phrases and promises. It's a reminder that God sees the areas that no one can see, And God hears the prayers that are inaudible that you don't even pray. God hears us, and when God hears us, it is uh, very similar to a thesoscope. I think I said the word wrong. When God hears us, (laughs) it's similar to that, right? (laughs) Just like a doctor who says, let me hear your breath, and then listens to what we cannot see and learns truths about us. God is in heaven, but God is able to use something that is able to reveal what we're really thinking. So the question is not, am I saying the right things? But the question is really, what's going on in my heart? Like it's super easy for us to be Christians who, who have the right response, the right words to say. I work on campus with, with students from across, really across the world, because many of our athletes are international. And it's so refreshing to meet a student who is not from the South, who doesn't just give me the, the written answers of Christianity. Because it's so easy for us to be so fluent in Christian language that we don't have a heart that has been transformed by the gospel message. And since God hears us and God knows us, we can be honest about God, honest with God when we pray and when we worship. The truth is, God does not simply listen to our worship through a speaker. And God does not simply hear, our th- hear the prayers that are uttered with our mouths. But God is able to look deeper into our hearts. And because God is able to look into our hearts, God is able to see and know exactly what is honest and true. So first, we are challenged to prepare for worship. Secondly, we are challenged to make a presentation of worship. And lastly, we are challenged concerning the promises made during worship. Verse 4 says, When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let your mouth lead you into sin. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger, that was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? But when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Our vows and promises in the text were an integral part of the worship of Jewish people. Worshippers would commit to something and then they would make a sacrifice um, to something. They would make a commitment to do a sacrifice to honor their commitment. In verse five, when it says better to vow, better to not vow than to vow, it is a reminder that God expects you to keep your word. How many of us have have really heard from God? I mean, significantly, the Lord has spoken to us and we have said, Lord, I'm going to do some things differently. Lord, I'm going to spend more time in your word. Lord, I'm going to volunteer. Lord, I'm going to serve. We've been in some situations where we were caught red-handed and we've said, Lord, if you just get me out of this one. I know I prayed that. And right after that, right after the Lord has gotten me out of it, how quickly do I forget about the promise that I made? In the text, what's being communicated is, The vows that we make in worship are important. There's a story in uh, the book of Acts of uh, a husband and wife by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. It's a a tragic story where there were people who were part of the household of God who were selling their possessions, they were laying at the apostles' feet, they were doing significant ministry. God didn't tell them to sell a piece of property but they made a decision that they want to sell a piece of property and instead of being honest about what they sold it for they lied and they withheld God did not kill them and that's what happens in the text God kills them not because they didn't give the whole amount God God punishes and judges them because they were not being honest God punishes them because they tried to present themselves as something that they were not And yes, please do not hear me saying that you need to come to Calvary and you need to confess your deepest, darkest at the altar in front of everybody and we need to shame you because of sin. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is we need to be very careful not to present ourselves spiritually as something that we're not. I need to be very careful not to live my life in such a way while I'm trying to present a person that is spiritual and mature and godly when in reality, I have not reached that level of spiritual maturity. When you look at the text, we have three very, very simple points of application and we Chris, you can come on back up as we get ready for communion. The first thing that we see and the first point of application is we must be willing to prepare to meet with the Lord. This point cannot be driven home enough. I cannot say, I want to say this to everyone, I cannot say that I want to grow in my faith. I cannot say that I want to be a godly husband. I cannot say that I want to be the person who God has created me to be and not make a commitment to preparing to hear from God and to experience God's presence. If I can say, hey, I want to be a godly pastor, I want to be a godly husband, I want to disciple my kids, if I say all those things and there is the lack of commitment to prepare for those things, I'm lying to myself, I'm lying to you, and I'm lying to God. I know that sounds really harsh, but it's the truth. Whatever you put in is what you're going to ultimately put out. And if we're going to be the men, the women, the husbands, the fathers, the disciples, uh, the community leaders, uh, the neighbors, uh, if we're going to be that, it's not going to happen with a magic bullet. It's not, you're not going to just wake up and Chris hit a couple chords and it's going to happen. It's going to happen through preparation. It's going to happen through nesting spiritually, making room for God to work in your life. Secondly, we need to be willing to listen part of the great privilege that we have as believers is God speaks to us. And and what I love about God speaking to me is God never misses an opportunity to speak. Now, there have been many times in my life where God has told me something that I did not want to hear. And I've tried to ignore it. I've I've tried to move on past it. But God never misses an opportunity to speak. The question is, are we willing to listen to what God has said? And thirdly, we need to be willing to keep our word. If you make a vow, if you make a promise to the Lord or to the body, you need to be willing to make a commitment to it. Because God cares about the commitment that you show to him, but also to the church.